We are so happy to be here. Wow, in Ballantin, victory. When I first started working with Mike and Cindy and some others that were here, it seemed like each time we talked, it was crisis, crisis. And now the last bunch of times I've called Mike, it's like, yeah, things are going great. So was, of course, there's always challenges. And we've all seen milestones since the last time we were here. Unfortunately, we've lost some loved ones. But fortunately, there's some really beautiful children that have been born in this congregation and other wonderful things that have happened uh, in our lives. We've hit some milestones. I turned 70, and my friend said, ah, it's just a number. It's a really big number, but it's just a number. <laughs> Thanks, Jim. You know, that was my friend, Jim. But um, we'll be married 50 years at the end of the month, and we're very excited about that. <clears throat> So Mary's not quite as old as me, and you're not supposed to ever tell a woman's age, but she's really close to my age. You know, so. um, good stuff. Uh, over the years, I've had the privilege to do weddings for my children as they've gotten married. But this past summer, we hit another milestone where I did the wedding for my granddaughter. So depending on how things go for them, we could be great-grandparents. Wow. Now, that does make me feel 70. Um, last summer, I had an operation on my left eye. And as Mike was praying, he was thanking God for all God's gifts of healing, including medical. And I was seeing these little spots, and I've had spots before. But then all of a sudden, it started to get shadow. And so I called my eye doctor in town. We live in a little town called Cumberland, Wisconsin. Funny, we moved to Wisconsin when I tell people here in Minnesota, the first thing they ask is not like, not like, what's the Lord doing there? It's like, you're not a Packers fan, are you? It's the first thing, first thing. No, we are not. We all suffer together. We all bleed purple. No. So anyhow, I called my local eye doctor and, and she said, uh, yeah, I can, this was in June. She said, I can get you in in September. I go, what? No. Oh, I think I got a problem. And she said, well, describe it. And then she goes, oh, yeah, you got to go in right away. And I said, yeah, that's why I'm calling. <laughs> but she gave me some other names, and I end up seeing this rock star guy in Spooner, Wisconsin. And he showed me pictures on the computer comparing my two eyes. And he said, yeah, you have to have an operation really soon. And I'm thinking, you know, a couple of weeks no, either have to have it today in the Twin Cities or tomorrow in the Twin Cities. So uh, that was a gift from God, that surgeon. <clears throat> and um, I am standing here before you thanking God. I can see out of both eyes really well, and there's only a slight correction difference. I went back, and the optometrist just said, you don't even need new glasses. So thank God. Amen. Thank God. Um, I became a pastor again. Yeah. I thought I was done with that, but I pastor a micro church in Ridgeland, Wisconsin. And I call it a micro church a little bit jokingly. We went down there one Sunday and there was three other people beside Mary and I. <laughs> That's a micro church. But God has really helped us and the church is really growing. We've ended up partnering with another church we didn't even know existed. 
and they have grown and grown and grown and added to their building, kind of like Victory here in Ballotin. And finally they said, we're not adding on to our building anymore. We're just going to send people out and help other churches. So we've got these three families, at least three, that are meeting with us, and we double the size of our church in a day. I think I'm the only pastor that can claim that. <laughs> but these are great people. But I am pastoring. <clears throat> I'm married, and I love it. And uh, we do believe this is our final assignment in terms of being responsible for something. But we do believe we'll continue to minister uh, probably for another 30 years. Let's see, we'd be a hundred. I'd be a hundred. Okay. Yeah. So, you know, when you're married, as long as we are, you start to really get to know each other. And we live in this beautiful place. It's kind of majestic, but it has a long gravel driveway and you have to roll your garbage bin up to the street. Any of you guys have that? You got to roll the garbage bin way up there. It's like a hundred yards. So, We kind of take turns doing it. You know, we have these watches that tell us how many steps we have for the day. So sometimes I'll say, hey, Mary, who's going to do the bin? And she says, I'll do it because I need the steps. So one day it's 20 below with a really strong wind. And this just shows you what it's like when you're married as long as we are. I said, who's bringing the bin up? She said, oh, you are. I said, well, how? How do you know? She goes, yeah, in my mind, I flipped a coin and you lost. (laughs) Was I there in your mind? Did I get to call heads or tails? (laughs) Let me tell you, each of us is designed by God. And that first song was just kind of taking me apart when we were singing it. If we would believe... What God says about us. Wow. We need to believe what God says about us. We're uniquely designed by God. If you are married or you're going to get married someday, your marriage will be uniquely designed by God. If you have children, your children will be uniquely designed by God. And I talk to Christians all the time. We counsel people. We counsel couples. And it's like, yeah, I believe God created everything, but it's hard to get people to believe God specifically designed them. And he has great plans for them, and they just need to believe it. Well, it sounds simple, but we're human. So we have these stumbling blocks called other people. And I grew up with a lot of rejection. I had five, uh, there was... Five of us in my family, so I had four siblings. One of them was my older brother. (laughs) And if anyone has an older brother here, you know how it can be cruel. So I thought, I will be cruel to my younger brother. That's the way it's done. But you know what? What people say about us is not the truth. It's what God says about us. And he has designed us. Now, As I'm talking today, I know some people are going to think, well, I don't know exactly how he's designed me. I mean, if I share about some gifts here, you might say, well, I don't know exactly what my gifts are. I just have three suggestions. Ask yourself, right? Because you might ask, well, what do I like to do? Ask others, because they can see things in you that you can't always see. But most importantly... Ask God. 
Ask yourself, ask others, ask God. God is so wanting to show you how he has designed you. He is so wanting to show you. As we continue to minister for the rest of our lives, we hope that that's one thing we get to continue to do a lot, and that is help people see how God has uniquely designed them. Because when you see someone really lay hold of that, they flourish, they blossom, they're excited. But when people don't know, then it's like the song we were singing until we get to that chorus. And that is, I'm going to believe what he says about me. It's inspiring to see what God does. It's inspiring to see what God likes to do. So I read the Bible sometimes, and sometimes I'm just reading, what does God like to do? Sometimes we think, you know, God's just up there and he's got all the time in the world. Well, yeah. <laughs> he's got unlimited resources. Is he just bored? No. He loves to shine his glory on people. He loves to forgive his people. He loves to cleanse his people. But here's one thing that's so outstanding in God's word. He loves to create. And you are uniquely designed by God. We're a a unique family. We have four children and five grandchildren. And I don't know how this happened, but we all have this design side to us. So we're familiar with design. I graduated from the University of Minnesota as a landscape architect. I love design. My oldest daughter graduated as an art teacher. She loves to paint. She's excellent at it. My second daughter just got a new job. She's a professional photographer. She she has an eye. My son is a graphic artist. And our youngest daughter is an interior designer. And if you ever go downtown Minneapolis, they've built this new high-rise called the Four Seasons Hotel. It's the only five-star hotel down there. And she's designing the interior design in the penthouses. These are multi-million dollar penthouses. And yet as much as we're accustomed, oh, and then my wife, okay, she graduated in, in business school and so on, but her amazing design is called cooking. So when we get home after this weekend, we'll pull in, Cumberland, Wisconsin, probably sometime late in the afternoon or early evening, we'll not have any plans what we're going to eat, but she'll put something together that's amazing. We will not stop at McDonald's. But interestingly, over the years, my family has seen, as much as we love design and are gifted in design, it's not the only thing God puts you together for. You may have an artistic gift, but you may be here today and go, oh, I can't relate to that at all. And there's a lot of people that aren't given gifts about design or, you know, artistic talents. But we all have some unique talent, gifts, abilities. And they blossom over the years. They become evident over the years. Sometimes they even change over the years. But again, I want to go back to that one statement that we were seeing. Do you believe 
what he says about you. Because he designed you. So if we believe what he says about us, and the first verse I'd like to, and it's probably going to get up on the screen here, is Ephesians 2.10. We are God's workmanship. Another translation says, we are God's, and I'm looking for it here, amplified version. You ever read the amplified? If you read one verse in the NIV, and you go to the Amplified, it takes you 10 minutes to read the Amplified. Okay. We are his workmanship, his own master work, a work of art. The only other place the Apostle Paul uses this word is in Romans, where it talks about how God has created the whole universe. So the same word is the word he uses with us. We are his masterpiece, his work of art. We are his creative, his creation. So, God's word teaches us where his workmanship, where his handiwork. There's four parts to this simple verse. Number one, we are, in fact, his handiwork. It didn't just happen by accident. You specifically, not just humanity in general, but you specifically were designed by God. And you're created to do works. Isn't that great? I mean, once we come to Christ, we don't just sort of spin our wheels the rest of the years here on earth, waiting for someday to go to heaven. No, he has powerful works for us to do. Good works. Works that will touch people's lives. Recently, I led a young man to the Lord, and I mean, he was rejoicing. I think I was rejoicing more because I realized God just used me to affect this guy's eternity. Not just the, not just that day or that year, not just the rest of his life, but I'm going to see him his eternity. That's good work. Yeah, in Second Timothy 2, uh, this, this is not on the screen, but if you ever want to go there, uh, Paul talks about how we can be created like different drinking vessels. You know, we could be made out of clay or we could be like a golden goblet, but it says if he forgives our sins then we're like that silver or gold vessel. So, we're his workmanship, we're created to do good works, and then it says, and God sets up those opportunities. Do you ever, not, ever have an opportunity and, and you take advantage of it, and then you go, wow, I stumbled into that one, didn't I? That's how I feel sometimes. I don't get up in the morning and like plan out my day. Okay, I'll lead this person to the Lord. Then later on, I'll set this one free. No, I'm just going with God. And he has set up those good works for us to do. The fourth part of the verse is that we would walk in them. Which means we have to believe what he says about us. Just believe it. Just believe it. See, in our culture, it's kind of popular, especially in Scandinavians and Germans. Keep stuff to yourself. Where would we be today if Beethoven had kept his stuff to himself? Or Renoir, or any artist. But they had gifts, and they shared it with the world. This wonderful worship team up here this morning... What if they decided to just keep it to themselves and just send, you know, some recording? Wouldn't have been the same. 
they shared their gifts with us, and they drew us into worship to the throne of God. Amen? Yeah, that's what it felt like to me. So God wants to demonstrate his character through us to the rest of the world. When God does something in us, he wants to do it also through us. Now, people used to read the Bible as a matter of course in our culture and in our country. Nowadays, more and more, you are the only Bible people will read. That's right. Because they don't read the Bible anymore. I mean, I have a friend, and he shares with youth all the time. He was at a skate park. And so he gathered with some of the young guys afterwards, and he was sharing good news. And he said, you know, like John 3.16, not one of them had ever heard of John 3.16. People don't read the Bible. But you are a living letter, a living Bible. People will read your life. And God isn't asking you to be perfect. And people go, oh, look at that. I'm reading his life. He's perfect. I'll never measure up. No. Asking us to display his character. Each year, Gallup does a poll, and they ask people on the street. You could ask God one question. What would it be? Every year, the top answer, always the same. If I could ask God one question, it would be, why am I here? Why am I on this earth? Who am I? You know, and we always use different terminology, but it's the same question. You know, when I was a teenager and graduated, the big deal was hitchhike around the country and go find yourself. And a lot of my friends are still out there hitchhiking, trying to find themselves. Our friend Larry Dorman, who was at the conference, and uh, he pastors in Clearbrook, Minnesota, he set out from New York. He grew up in Brooklyn in an apartment. Him and his buddy set out to find themselves. He's Jewish. Guess what? He found Jesus. He found his wife as well. (laughs) And now he's a Christian pastor, has been for many, many years in Clearbrook. So, that's the terminology I used, we used, when we were teenagers. By the time my son came around, the phrase was, what are you all about? What are you all about? And I was talking to him one day, and I said, you know what? That's good that you're learning what you're all about. And right at that time, he went to a youth retreat. And they broke up into small groups, and one of his buddy was in his group. And he said, you know, Philip, I don't know what you're all about, but I know this. When you find out what you're all about, it's going to be really cool. And he came home. He said, Dad, I still don't know what I'm all about, but I just know it's going to be really cool. I said, that's awesome. I mean, this is a kid when he was five years old, and he was in kindergarten. You know how they interview kindergarten, and they have a kindergarten graduation? with the little hats and everything, and then they interview him, what do you want to be? And his buddies wanted to be, you know, firemen or astronauts. And they get to him, Philip, what would you like to be? He said, I want to be a plain old dad. <laughs> Boy, did I love that. <clears throat> and guess what? He's a plain old dad. <laughs> but he's got many, many other talents, and he and his wife and little girl Clara are 
part of a church up there that's really helping families in a good way, and they're just loving it, loving the Lord. So uh, that's great. God wants to display his character and his glory through his people. He wants to put it on display. You might be the only Bible people read these days. So whether you answer the question of, God, I'm going to believe what you say about me, or I'm going to find myself, or, you know, who am I, or what am I all about? In the end, the answer is, God has designed you. Ask yourself, ask others, but most of all, ask God. The Apostle Paul would also write a letter to the Philippians. We read the verse out of Ephesians. This is to the church in Philippi. So naturally it's called Philippians. Chapter 3, verse 12, he says this. I press on to lay hold of that for which Christ laid hold of me. And if you read the context of this Philippian passage, Paul is not talking about salvation. He's talking about the purposes, the design of God. He's talking about the calling, the gifting. I'm going to lay hold of that. And I'm sure you've heard this taught before. Each one of us has of that. My good friend Chuck Porter, that's one of his favorite verses. What is your that? So Philippians 3.12, Paul the great apostle is still pressing on to lay hold of all that Christ had designed him for. And you might say, well, if that boy didn't know, how am I going to ever know? It's a lifetime privilege to ask ourselves, ask others, ask God. I was teaching over in Menominee, Wisconsin once at the university. It's called Stout. Our daughter was there at the time, part of the University of Wisconsin system. And I was with Gary Gilbertson, and we were doing prepare ministries. And so I met with this group of girls, and that was fun. And I think there was a dozen of them. And we were going through the gifts from Romans 12. And I taught them for two weeks. I mean, I taught them for many weeks. But after two weeks, I said, okay, we've gone through these Gifts from Romans 12. I think only one of these girls was a Christian. So this was cool to be able to share good news with them. But anyhow, out of the dozen, I just said, okay, we've only known each other for two weeks. I have looked at these gifts with you from Romans 12. What do you think my gifts are? And to a person, they nailed me. Why? Because they saw it in me. That's why it's important to ask yourself and ask others. They'll see things in you you can't see in yourself. They can see the design of God in you that you never saw. But in the end, ask God. The only wise God, the designer, the one who put you together. And that's exactly what David says in Psalm 103. He knows our frame. He designed us. Okay, I'm going to share four things with you. Do not do if you want to walk in the design of God. Number one, never bury your talent. Ever. 
Now, we know this parable that Jesus was teaching on the word talent actually meant a type of money in those days. But we've used it as a parallel with gifts, right? That's my talent. That's my gift. And so we get out of this parable, don't bury your talent. How true that is. You ever read about archaeology? I love it. And so there's one archaeological dig in the town of Eshtemoa. And they're working on this ancient house site. And this would have been a house that was used for hundreds and hundreds of years. People were walking, you know, from the kitchen and then into the bedroom and so on, back and forth across what probably would have been the living room. And they're doing this archaeological dig. Now, do you realize people were walking over the top of what they found for hundreds of years? And what they found was this huge cache of silver. Just the monetary value was off the charts. The antique value wasn't even able to be assessed. Buried talent. Walking right over the top of it. I'm going to tell you today, you have some talent that's just 18 inches under the surface. Just under the surface. Ask yourself, ask others, ask God. And it will get dug up. But whatever you do, don't participate in the burying of it. So don't ever bury your talent. Oh, I'm not as good a singer. Oh, I'm not as good a speaker. Oh, I can't. I'm not technological at all. I'm not a techie guy. You know what? So what? What are you? So spending time burying our talents never helps by comparing ourselves to each other. The other thing is, and this is what I was leading to, don't try on someone else's armor. Don't try to use somebody else's armor. You've heard this story, right? I mean, here's Saul and his quote-unquote mighty men. And Goliath is across the ravine just cursing their God, cursing our God. And David was told just to bring him some, you know, bread and cheese and stuff. So David goes down there with some supplies. And he probably was thinking they were going to be glad to see him. He had the food, right? But instead, they kind of taunted, that's what older brothers do. Remember I told you that earlier? (laughs) Oh, we know you. You just came down here to spy out what's going on. So he brings them the cheese and the bread, and then he goes, who's that ungodly Philistine? What's he yelling at our God about and cursing our God? Oh, that's Goliath. No one dares to fight him. David goes, I will. What? Yeah. God has delivered me from the mouth of the lion and the bear. And I can kill this guy. So Saul hears about it. Now picture yourself as Saul. You're sitting in your tent. It's a glorious tent. And someone comes, a messenger, and says, well, we found a guy who's willing to fight Goliath. Great. Bring him in. What do you think as Saul the guy's going to look like? Instead, here's little short, ruddy David, and he doesn't even have a sword. And David says... And, you know, first Saul goes, oh, boy, right? And David says, no, I can go against him. And so Saul says, well, at least take my armor. And I'm I'm thinking, it doesn't say this in the Bible, but wouldn't Saul have thought, the guy's going to get killed, he might as well go out in style. Here, take my armor. (laughs) So David takes Saul's armor, which was the best in the land, because we're talking about King Saul. He puts on Saul's armor. is like, this 
no, this doesn't even fit. This is not me at all. So he brings it back, you know. God save you, king. I can't wear your armor. Well, how are you going to kill Goliath? Well, I have this smelly leather sling. But God delivered me from the mouth of the lion and the bear. Folks, God has uniquely designed you. Don't try on somebody else's armor. If you do, take it off. Use what God has given you. Don't bury your talent, and don't try to use somebody else's talent, armor, whatever. Here's another thing. Don't misdirect your passion. Mary and I have had the privilege to minister to so many folks, and I just love seeing these people up here this morning getting prayer. And so many times people will come for prayer and they'll say, please pray for me. I need more passion. I need more passion. So for a while, I would say, Lord, give them more passion. And then also one day I sensed they have plenty of passion. It's just misdirected. And so I started praying that way. And I would tell them, you have lots of passion, but it's for sports. You have tons of passion, but it's for money. You have an amazing amount of passion, but it's for the television. Your passion is off the charts, but it's for things that you're asking. It's not for things that you're asking for today. <clears throat> and the things I share, we're, we're not condemning anybody because we're all humans. And only redeemed by God. But what I try to do is get them back to direct their passion on the things that mean something. I love sports. I love money. But if my passion is directed toward those things only, whatever. Yeah, heard a preacher, we invited him over from England. And he said, you know, Americans think they have no king and queen here. But you're wrong. Your king is sports and your queen is entertainment. Wow. So, okay, we have a passion for a lot of stuff. Let's get it directed back. I mean, I could have easily spent inordinate amount of times golfing because I was raised on golf courses. My great uncle was one of the charter members of Interlochen, got to play Interlochen, had friends that belonged to Hazeltine, played Hazeltine. It's easy to misdirect your passion, even if they're good things. I got into investing for a while, and it blessed us. But you can see how it just sucked you in. Take your passion. There's nothing wrong with making money. We need to eat. We need to put gas in our cars. But do we have misdirected passion? So thank God for our designs. Pursue it. Be intentional. Don't try to use somebody else's calling, armor, giftings. Direct your passion toward whatever gift God has given you and the design that he used when he made you. So David says... Bless the Lord, O oh my soul. Everything that is in me, bless his holy name. And he says, he knows our frame. I'm going to take just the last few minutes here talking about David in Psalm 23. Just a couple minutes. 
that will show you how God has designed us. And if we will direct our attention to him, that design will flourish. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. If God is not shepherding you, you will be fine. You will be found wanting because God has designed you to be shepherded by Jesus. You will be found wanting if he is not shepherding you. He makes me lie down in green pastures beside still waters. He has designed you to lay down in green pastures beside still waters. I have discovered that it's not an option. He makes me, he makes me lie down in green pastures. Not he suggests that I do sometimes. He would like us to if we really want to. No, we were designed to lie down in green pastures from time to time besides still waters. Can I take my computer with me? Can I have my cell phone with me? No. This is where we hear God's voice about why and how he designed us. Is when we're lying down by still waters and green pastures. So we're designed in that way. And he goes on. He leads me in paths of righteousness. Did you know that you're designed to walk in paths of righteousness? So if you're struggling today, it's because he's designed you to walk in those paths of righteousness. He wants to set you free from any path of righteousness, unrighteousness that you are on. You might have never given your life to Christ. Today could be your day if you so desire. Maybe today is actually your day. Maybe today afterwards you could come up here and, and, and pray with Mike or Cindy or one of the other prayer team or one of the elders because he designed you to walk in paths of righteousness and be shepherded by Jesus Christ. Well, I'm very, very thankful to be here. Extremely thankful that I was able to talk. And now that's about all I've got. <laughs> Can I pray with you? Lord, even as we started <clears throat> with that wonderful worship song, God, we need your help to believe what you say about us. Sometimes we're more apt to believe what others say. Or we're more apt to believe what our own heart says when it's condemning us. Help us, O oh God, by your Holy Spirit to believe what you say about us. Help us to believe that you've designed us. We trust in you, Lord. Thank you. Amen.